Open your Bibles to John chapter 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Fourth book, New Testament, like on this side of your Bible. If you've gone to Revelation, you've gone too far. Go back. John chapter 12. If you have an app, open it up. Or if you don't have a Bible or a Bible app, you can download one for free. Or the Sky Bible behind us will take care of all of our needs. So, and we're going to get right into it. There's a lot to cover today. So first, let me say, um, according to the church calendar, today is what is called Palm Sunday. In the biblical storyline, today is the day where Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem. Essentially, Jesus rode towards his death, which would come about five days later. Now, this story of Jesus entering Jerusalem goes perfectly with the series of sermons that we've been uh, working through called Creed. Creed is short for Apostles' Creed. And this is an ancient Christian confession uh, that pretty much summarizes the core teachings of the Christian church. So last week was week one. We covered the first few lines of the, of the confession. And what we're doing is we're walking through this as we get closer to Easter, which is next, next week. And we're just being reminded of what we believe as a church. So we'll, we'll be in it for four weeks. This is week two. So let me, let me tell you exactly where we're going today. First, I'm going to read from John chapter 12, which describes what people were doing as Jesus rode into town on Palm Sunday. That's what I'm going to read first. Then we're going to learn from the next section of the Apostles' Creed where we left off last week. And number three, just to let you know, we're going to read a lot of Bible. So uh, I am a horrible out loud reader. I will do my best. So you can turn with me as I go or all the scriptures should be on the screen behind you. But here's the big idea for this morning's sermon. What you believe affects who you will become. It's absolutely true of everyone. And now that I say that, I'm not sure if it's affect or effect. But if some of you know, we'll talk about it later. What you believe affects what you become. What you believe to be true about God, this world, your existence, the afterlife, and everything in between will dictate how you approach what Jesus said and did while he was on the earth. Friends, everyone needs to come before Jesus, the man who showed up and claimed to be God, and figure out what to do with him. So let's look at what people did in John chapter 12. I'm going to read about 18 verses. Six days before the Passover, it's a Jewish festival and holiday, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, which is a city where Lazarus was whom Jesus raised from the dead. Lazarus is a close friend of Jesus. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot... One of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Verse 7, Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only in the account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because in the account of him, many Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it had been written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, 
sitting on a donkey's colt. For many people, Jesus is just another really good person who said and did a lot of really good things. A man who lived a simple life, serving those in need. For others, Jesus is is maybe more of a con man who started a religion because he was a narcissist and didn't have anything else better to do because they didn't have iPhones. And for others still, Jesus was a liar. And because he is a liar, we should walk away from all the ancient stories written in this really old book and throw out any idea that he was anything more than just the right person at the right time, fulfilling a need for desperate people. To some people, Jesus was simply an opportunist taking advantage of the culture. But the Christian should always disagree with this. Because we believe that Jesus is the eternal son of God who came into the world to seek and save sinners. And so my prayer this week has been this for you, that you would see how magnificent Jesus really is. Maybe more than that, maybe that's not a big enough word. Um, So I would say my prayer for you, that you'd be overwhelmed, simply overwhelmed with who Jesus is. More importantly, I've been praying that you will believe. You will believe and have faith. To believe is is to have active faith. I want you to believe in who he is. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Because we are defined by what we believe. Much more than how we look, much more than where we work, more than where we've been or what we've seen, and certainly more than what has been done to us, more than all of these things, we are defined by what we believe. What you believe will determine how you live. What you believe is why you do that thing you do. Ooh, you know, the song? It's, yeah, I always get a song lyric in. It's why you say what you say. It's the reason you live the way you live. Because you see, what you believe defines who you are. I believe the two most explosive and defining words anyone could speak. Because for the Christian, all of life begins with that statement, I believe. Our salvation begins with belief. Our eternity in heaven with our Savior is determined by belief. To help strengthen our faith and our belief, we've been learning from an ancient Christian confession. It's called the Apostles' Creed which is essentially a set of truthful statements summarizing what the Bible teaches about who God is. Now, to put this confession in the proper context, remember, we, you must believe more than what the creed offers us to be a Christian. There's a lot more in the Bible than what is summarized in the creed. So the creed is not our authority. It's simply a summarization of truths. So you need to believe more than what the creed says to be a Christian. However, you cannot believe any less than the creed says. Throughout history, the church has pointed to creeds or confessions as a way to direct worship and direct teaching. The Apostles' Creed, and think of like along with the Lord's Prayer or the Ten Commandments, all of these things are confessional things that we can confess, creeds that we can live by, and they've been used as guardrails in the church and for the Christian. And here's what they've done. They have saved many Christians from wandering off into untruth, as Paul would say, Confessions, saying what you believe, will actually save you from making shipwreck of your faith. And this is important because the Christian is called to guard the teaching which has been entrusted to them. You and I are are called to guard the teaching 
that has been entrusted to us. We are called to honor our God by honoring his word. We're called to submit ourselves to the word as rightly interpreted through the faithful reading, faithful preaching, and faithful teaching. If you ever wanted to know deep down what my desire is as a shepherd of this church, here's what my desire is. Here's what I pray for, by name, for all of you. It's not an exaggeration. For all of you, I pray for anyone who would call Citygate Church home that we would not wander from the word of God. That's my prayer every week. It's the most important warning that I can give you. Do not wander away from the word of God. It's that great, maybe one of the, my favorite interactions with Jesus is this time where he creates a lot of food out of nothing. It's pretty cool. You read about it. Then he has all these people surrounding him. And then they come back the next day and they want some more. And he starts to teach them about the true bread, the bread that will, if they have it, they'll never go hungry. And so some of them don't understand, so they walk away. They leave Jesus. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, do you guys want to go too? And one of them says, where would we go? To whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus, there's nowhere else to go. Friends, I hope that would be us as a church. So as we've been reading, uh, learning through this confession, I think it's really important for us to remember what we believe and then stand fast in it, stand firm. So we've read the story about people worshiping Jesus in the streets, packing the streets full, laying down palm branches, acknowledging him as king, as savior, as Lord. So now let's learn from this creed because this provides the reason why people were doing that in John chapter 12. So here's the first section. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We believe Jesus is the savior of the world. Very plain. And therefore, we believe there is no other person with that title, whoever has been or ever will be. No one will ever show up and be able to fulfill that title, savior of the world. For this is exactly what his name means. Jesus means the one who will save people from sin. Christ means savior. And the name is the most important name in all of human history. This name must be proclaimed to the nations because this is the only name powerful enough to save for anyone anywhere. There is no name under heaven and earth where sinners will find forgiveness. Friends, in your darkest moment, darkest and each of us have a different darkest moment at your lowest moment in life whatever sin has got you bound i need you to remember you will only find forgiveness of sin at the cross of jesus christ that will be it do not wander and frantically search anywhere else jesus is god's only son and therefore our lord He's the Lord of our life. He's our Savior, and he's the Lord of our life. He is the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God the Father. He has always existed in perfect unity with God the Father and God the Spirit. The Bible calls him the Ancient of Days. He is the Son of God and Son of Man. He is the eternal Word. Through him, all things were made that have been made. Jesus, this is a simple way to put it, Jesus is God. That's why he was so controversial. That's why he could say things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So you can't come to Jesus and kind of stand in the middle and say, well, yeah, he was, he was kind of nice. 
A lot of great things, but he's not God. He just never gives us those options. A faithful, true, simple reading of the Bible never puts us in that position where we can just simply walk away without realizing what we're walking away from. We are walking away from God. So he's the eternal word of God. He is the ancient of days, but now, okay, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, there's some flesh involved. There's this person that they named Jesus, and he is truly God and truly man. This is who Jesus is. You can say fully God or fully man. Truly God, truly man, all at the same time. And this is what makes the virgin birth so significant. It's almost like we're at Christmas again. This this is what makes the virgin birth so significant. The eternal son of God was sent into the world, and here's why. So he could live a perfect life. That's why he put on flesh to live among us. So then he could die a sacrificial death. This is why God came. Let me say it this way. First, our Savior, Jesus, must be truly man. The Savior of the world must be truly man so that he can perfectly obey all of God's laws, all the laws that we break. We need someone to stand in our place and be perfect on our behalf before God. That's why he's truly man, which Jesus accomplishes this. I mean, the Bible records that although he was tempted in every way we have been tempted, he was without sin. Friends, Most of us don't understand what each other are going through. We try. You have close friends, like, we get it. We're really trying to be there. But some of our sin is so personal and so real, it's hard to even communicate it. Let me tell you the truth. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. Because he was tempted in every way we have been tempted. In every way. Yet, he was without sin. That's the first. He must be truly man. But then second, the Savior of the world must be truly God. So in his divine nature, so that in his godness, in that being God, his obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective. That's our God right there. That's Jesus Christ. Truly man, truly God. And so we believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and then born of the Virgin Mary. Church, Jesus was not a mere creature like you and I. He was not like you and I. He was truly man, truly God. Jesus is the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the one who was born to a virgin named Mary. The Bible records this in Luke chapter one. I'm gonna read again, Luke chapter one, verses 36, 26 through 35. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. I would agree at that saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. You ever like laugh at that? Right. (laughs) Don't be afraid. Just a floating creature in front of me. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? That's a very logical response. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, 
the Son of God. Truly man, truly God. Truly man so he could live like us but perfectly obey. Truly God so he could be perfect and holy and everything that he would do would be effective on our behalf. This is the truth of God coming near. God is very near. He kept his promise to Adam and Eve in the beginning of the Bible. Way over here, like the third chapter of your Bible, if you start at the beginning, you will see how we screwed it up. And listen, don't judge Adam and Eve. You would have done the same thing, okay? I know we're like, what was wrong with them? But God kept his promise to Adam and Eve. God said he would send someone who would defeat Satan once and for all. That is what we can rejoice in. Amen? Evil, darkness, sin, disease, anything. You can look around the world and say, wow, I see the effects and the results of sin. And God said he would send someone that would defeat Satan once and for all. And the Savior would come through a woman. Savior would be born like you and I have been born, but he's not like you and I because he doesn't have an earthly father. Why? Because if he had an earthly father, he would not be born of the Holy Spirit. He is God, come in the flesh, born of the Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And this is good news because the Savior has come. God has not left us alone in our sin. He enters into our humanity just as he said he would. Our Savior is truly God, a loving, kind God. Mary and Joseph and the shepherds who heard and the kings of the east who visited all testify to this event. More than this, as you read the New Testament, you'll see person after person acknowledge him as Lord, Savior, King, and God over and over again. Lord, Savior, King, and God. This is what people were doing as they laid palm branches down in the road celebrating that the Savior had finally come, celebrating that their king has entered into their town. Now, some of them were thinking of a physical kingdom, a physical king, throw off the oppressive Roman government, have the people of God worship together, save us from all these people who are conquering us. They may have thought in physical terms, but this was all for a purpose and all for a reason. We believe Jesus is God in the flesh who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, miraculously born of a virgin. This is why Jesus can say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is why he can say, I and the Father are one. This is why he can say, I am the I am, the same I am who announced his presence to Moses. This is why he can say this. We also believe Jesus is truly man. We believe what the Bible records about his suffering and his death. So let's go to the next section. Creed continues. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. Let me give you the big idea of this section. Jesus did not only die for you, he suffered for you. Now this is where we're going to settle in and then finish out our time. Because Good Friday, we're going to celebrate that in four or five days from now. We call it good because it's fantastic, but it's dark and it's evil all at the same time. The mission of Jesus' life pointed to a cross where he was crucified. And this means that God became flesh so that he might hang on a cross to suffer for the sins of the world. See, it was our sin that held him there. It was our sin that put him there. And yet he comes riding on that donkey and he knows what's about to go down And everybody else is acting like this is some inauguration. The Apostle Paul writes this, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. 
Put this on your dashboard because you will need this verse. For our sake, he, that's God, made him, that's Jesus. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, God made the perfect son of God sin. He poured out all the wrath of sin on God, on Jesus. All so that we could walk in new life, so we could be righteous, so we could be cleansed. Jesus came for our sake. He came to take our sin. He came to live a sinless life, and he came to make his people righteous, and he did so by suffering. The suffering of Jesus endures endured so much stuff. I don't think we can fully understand as we even read the Bible what it would be like to live through that suffering and die on that cross. And Jesus suffers under the watch of this man named Pontius Pilate, a Roman governor who could have released him because Jesus did not break any laws. Still, Jesus stood silently before his accusers, willingly handing himself over to the slaughter. The Jewish authorities demanded his execution, although he lived a sinless life, a perfect life. And Pilate gave them what they wanted. Our Savior stood in the presence of the people of Israel. He stood surrounded by the very people he came to save, and they uh, called for his execution over again and over again. Crucify him. Crucify him. A week earlier, they were laying palm branches down, acknowledging him as their king. But now they demanded his crucifixion. When given a chance to release Jesus back into the community, which was a custom, they chose a man named Barabbas, a murderer. The crowd wanted Barabbas. And Pilate, by the authority given to him by God, handed Jesus over to be crucified. It's found in Matthew 27. I'm going to read that for you now. Matthew 27, verses 15 through 23. Now at the feast... The governor, that's Pilate, was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had this notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to him, said to them, Who do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they wanted him to be delivered up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a word. This is what a wife says. Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of these two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? Isn't it beautiful how Pilate keeps calling him the Savior over and over again before the people. And they all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? It's like God using Pilate to say, do you understand what you are about to do? I have no skin in the game. I, I, this is just my job. You guys put me in this position. I'm trying to figure out who you want. And I'm recognizing, not only in my own perception, but my wife comes to me, and they're always right. And he's, they said... This, you better leave this guy alone. He's, he hasn't done anything wrong. I always say that when my wife's not here. <laughs> Tell her. Give me the credit. Quote me. They said, let him be crucified. What has he done? 
But they all shouted more and more and more, let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. Do you want your king? No, give us Barabbas. Do you desire to know your savior? No, let me live in my sin. Do you want to grow closer to this man named Jesus? The one who was miraculously born of a virgin? The one who has done signs and wonders among you? The one who said he was God and then has proven it over these last three years? The one who has fulfilled every Old Testament prophecy ever written about him? No, we want Barabbas. Give us back the murderer. Give us back the man who would display our depraved heart and mind. Friends, something to remember. If there is no sin, there is no need for a savior. And let me tell you, the manifestation of sin is looking God in the face and wanting nothing to do with him and calling for the release of a murderer. It's great how Matthew writes this story. It pulls us in. Friends, I know that no one is perfect here and everyone's welcome. That is a true statement and that is what we aim to do but let me tell you how not perfect you are. And we need this. This is gonna hurt, but we need this. Given the same chance, we'd have yelled the same thing. We are desperately wicked and sick. That's what Jeremiah says about the heart. The heart is desperately wicked. Without our substitute, the God-man, Jesus Christ, coming in our place to die for our sin, we still are wicked. But praise God, no more, right? No more. Give us Barabbas. What a powerful truth. It was our sin, it was their sin, it was your sin that drove Jesus to a cross. And it was your sin which was forgiven at the cross. Now let's not forget Jesus goes, but it's not really the son's plan, is it? This isn't Jesus' plan. Isaiah 53.10 says this. A man named Isaiah wrote this a long time before Jesus shows up, maybe 700, 800 years. He says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. You see, God the Father crushed God the Son for his people, for you and for me and for anyone who would believe. We must not forget this. Jesus did not devise his own plan of salvation. He came to do exactly what the Father wanted. And Jesus knew every step of his life moved him closer and closer to the work God had sent him to do. And just before he is crucified, we see him in the garden, and he's in so much anguish. And what does he say to his Father? If there's any other way, can we just do it that way? I know what I'm here for. I get it, and I know it because I'm God. But if there's another way, yet what does he do? He obeys his father. Jesus knows with every step of his life that moves him closer and closer to the work God had sent him to do, closer and closer to the cross where he would die, closer and closer to the moment where he would be crucified and pay for the sins of the people through his sacrifice, closer and closer to realizing that he would pay for the sins of the very people who nailed him to a tree. Throughout this event, Jesus, the perfect son of God, who 
could have called down, called down legions of angels who could have just said, nope, not having it, I'm backing out. He remained silent. It's because he came to die as a spotless lamb, a perfect sacrifice, allowing those who he spoke into existence to be the same people to nail him to the cross. That's mind-blowing. All things were created through him and for him. And not was anything made that was not made by him. The very people Jesus knew would exist are the same people who he let nail him to a cross. And because of this, it is you and I who can be forgiven and set free if you believe. If you believe. The Father sent the Son. The Son willingly came and obeyed. And he obeyed to the point of death even death on a cross. Here's an interesting and ironic outline of Jesus' life. We'll begin to close. Remember, begin to close. Here's an interesting and ironic outline of Jesus' life. Jesus was born a king. He was crucified a criminal. He died on a cross. He would, but he was then buried as a king. Because a man named Nicodemus, Nicodemus shows up and brings everything you would do to embalm and bury a king. He gives all that to Jesus. He's born a king. He's crucified as a criminal. He's died on a cross. He was buried as a king. And then finally, the creed says, he descended into hell. Now, this is actually a confusing line. It is quite confusing. I cannot argue with the line being there because that's not my place, but let's be careful to not go further than what the Bible teaches about the realm of the dead. Sheol is that word like the realm of the dead in the Old Testament, if you see that in the Psalm, you'll see that a lot, or Hades in the New Testament. Both mean the same thing, a Hebrew word and a Greek word. So let me read this in Acts chapter 2. This is what is said about the descending into hell and, and exactly what Jesus lived through a little bit. It says, brothers, this is during a sermon in the book of Acts, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David. So this is King David he's talking about now. And Jesus comes in the family line of King David. So David is a king preparing us for the ultimate king. David is an earthly king preparing us for an everlasting king. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both lived and was buried and his tomb is still with us today. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He, for, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Some people would say to Jesus, go into hell because if you're a sinner, you go to hell. And Jesus wasn't a sinner because he was perfect. So what happens? Why does the creed say this? Here's a quote I found in a book because I didn't know the answer. <laughs> Some of y'all didn't realize I do that. Here we go. You guys thought I was really smart. In this book called Apostles' Creed, because I definitely read about four books called The Creed this last month, a guy named Al Mohler said this, Peter said David was not speaking of himself, but of Christ. Even as Christ truly died and his body was buried in the grave in the tomb, and even as his spirit entered the realm of the dead, Christ was not abandoned, nor did his body suffer corruption. Why? Because God raised him from the dead. And so, as we confess that Jesus descended into hell, we also get ready to confess that hell could not hold him, even if it tried. 
wasn't going to happen. God the Father sent God the Son into the world to suffer and to die for the sins of many. This is Good Friday, which comes four or five short days from now. This week, we celebrate the suffering and death of our Savior so that next week we can celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. Amen? We believe this to be true. Let's pray, and then we'll go into communion. Our Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for brothers and sisters who have come before us to put these confessions and creeds on paper to summarize what we believe.